the Discover Dakota County podcast, provided by the Dakota County Regional Chamber of Commerce, is an interactive conversation that brings listeners and viewers informative stories, historical tidbits, views of leaders in the region, topics with various points of view, plus a little humor and throwback amusement. Tune in as we explore the rich stories and insights in Dakota County. And now your host, Phil Stahlberger. Discover Dakota County is brought to you by our session sponsor, Mid Country Bank, and our episode sponsors, the Minnesota Vikings and the Egan Convention and Visitors Bureau. We thank you for supporting Discover Dakota County. Welcome to Discover Dakota County. My name is Phil Stahlberger. Today we are joined by three of our esteemed police chiefs in Dakota County, and we will start with... Hi, I'm Kelly McCarthy, and I'm the chief of the Mendota Heights Police Department. Hi, I'm Roger New. I'm the police chief in Egan, Egan Minnesota. And Mike Dahlstrom, I'm with the city of Rosemount. How else do you kind of keep your force strong, not just physically, but mentally? It's a hard thing to do. As leaders, I can't think of a time that's been more challenging than now. And, and you know, I, I, I don't want to dismiss anything that our predecessors have done in the profession. Dealing with civil unrest, pandemic, the social parts of society and their angst with public safety. Bill, you mentioned, you know, how do you balance it and manage your organizations? We're embarking on probably the most challenging time. I've been in policing now 28 years and uh, been part of the administration in Egan since 2004. I gotta tell you, the stuff that we've had to manage through the last couple of years, I credit all of us and we haven't gotten it right, but we're figuring it out. But I think this wellness thing, we're getting that right and uh, we're continuing to try to expand our programs and figure out what's best for the people. It's interesting through our leadership conversations that we, we remind ourselves occasionally about though is we need to make sure we're taking care of ourselves because as leaders, we carry home the burdens of our people, the community, and uh, we're constantly questioning, you know, are we doing things right? And uh, there's not many people around to say, you did a good job with this or you did this right. So it, it, it's a challenge. I think that's the best way to sum it up. It's interesting. You talk a lot about community. You represent a community you grew up in. Mm -hmm. is, and not that you know, you might know if you have stats, but in terms of your, <laughs> your, your force. I'm gonna use these at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. But, yeah. but how, much of, how much of your force is from its own community? As we talk about recruiting, it's like a recruiting in California, recruiting in other states, or is it in the neighboring surrounding communities, right? Because I think of, you know, growing up, you're going to be a police officer, you're going to be a part of the community, you're going to be mayor, you're going to be a politician, whatever your involvement in the community is, you all represent the communities you grew up in, for the most part. Sure. We had a little uh, picture that we put together to talk about all the Rosemont High School grads that work at our department. And mm -hmm. there's... That explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so it, uh, you know, but there's, there's six of... Um, Six of 29 at the moment, you know, okay. and then I, I didn't go to Rosemont High School, but I also work there. So, I mean, sure. the, don't bring that up. Yeah, you're, I know you're going you're gonna to go next. Well, where did you go to school, Mike? <laughs> um, but I, I think it, it just depends. I, I've had a couple of yeah. recruitments where I've offered people jobs and they've said, I, I you know, thank you. I really appreciate this, but I want to go work in Burnsville. That's where I grew up or that's where I went to high school um, or I want to go work in Apple Valley. And that's OK. And I think in the end, you want what's best for them, because the last thing you want to do is train somebody up and get them in your department and, and learn all your, your procedures and, and uh, give them a piece of that pie. And then all of a sudden they take that, that stuff elsewhere. So Pie, I would have thought you liked 
cake. <laughs> I had to go non-dairy recently, so. Yeah, oh, I was thinking from St. Thomas being a cake eater. <laughs> <laughs> See, she got that in there. She's wow. good. Yeah, she's, she's good. good. Yes, I went to St. Thomas Academy, and I'm proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about Mendota Heights? Like, is there part I, of your force? Do you have a lot of folks in, in your force from the community? No. Um, and I didn't plan on, right. I never really wanted to come back necessarily. I just had a really good opportunity. And we have one officer who lives in Mendota Heights. The, the price of homes in Mendota Heights mm -hmm. precludes public servants mm -hmm. from living in Mendota Heights. I think we have one other Two Rivers grad. Okay. And so I don't know that it's the geography necessarily as it is the size of the agency. What does the agency have to offer? Being a small agency, I'm fine with if an officer wants to come in and says, I really, my heart is set on being a Rosemount officer, but they're not hiring right now. Mm -hmm. I have no issue taking that officer in if they're quality and saying, you're going to work here for three years and I'm going to train you so you can go anywhere and I'm mm -hmm. going to treat you so you never want to leave. But if in the end you want to go to Rosemount, I'll tie you up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. go ahead, sir. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we'll make that. Ha I'll do everything I can to make that happen because it's good for the profession. Sure. And so I never begrudge people trying to move up, move out. God bless them. Yeah. And I think it's good for the profession that for people to work at different agencies. Sure. So. You know, we encourage that and um, yeah, we're not afraid of it. In talking to all three of you and listening to you about your community, you all have to report to a city council, city government, and every city's different, every state's different, every country's different, et cetera. Maybe talk a little bit about your experience in being a chief and having to report to a city council and have to explain why you're doing X, Y, or Z. And your population is different than Rosemont, which is different than Mendota Heights. Your tax base is different. Your demographics are different, et cetera. When you train an officer in a given community and they want to go somewhere else, maybe talk a little bit about kind of that process and what do you do as a police chief? We'll let Chief Dostrom match that one first. Sure. sure. I got it. I got it. I got it. Uh, yeah, I, I think that even even just generally speaking, I, sometimes I think people don't understand local government. So just right. understand that you've got, let's just take uh, on a very base level, you've got your police department, you've got your police chief as a department head. I, I'm going to be reporting to a city administrator or a city manager, and then they're going to be reporting to your elected officials, your governing board, your, your city council. And sometimes... Like people don't understand how important it is, I didn't, at least growing up, to pay attention to those things. The community that you live in, you have a say in who becomes your local elected official. I'm very thankful for the ones that I have. Uh, they're, they're, they're excellent and they have been very supportive over the last couple of years, which has made our department a much better place to be. And just as an example, these things like working from home or right. working out on duty or wellness programs that has been foreign and still is foreign to some public government positions it's sometimes you know you think of a workout facility as that's for the really nice private sector job where you can get done and go work out and take a shower and head home uh, they've been very supportive that way but in terms of resources to answer that question chief news got different resources than i have <laughs> right, right right yeah yeah you know yeah let's just throw it out there um, but it comes with a give and take. If I was to ever call and ask the Egan Police Department if I could use their mm -hmm. drone, they just used their drone on our recent search that we have. We don't have a drone, but um, Egan's been uh, allowed us to use that. They've used our Bearcat. We got a, we have a, a Bearcat, uh, an armored vehicle that we received through a grant, a uh, buffer zone grant back in 2008, and that's been used countywide. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think it's just important to have the partnerships. And as you grow, sure, you get more opportunities. Maybe you get more officers, different positions. We don't have an analyst. There's some mm -hmm. agencies that have an analyst. Sometimes 
you're the PIO, the analyst, and you might even still be taking calls as a police chief in some agencies. I am so lucky that I got to work for two different agencies because I know what it looks like when it's gross, when your values don't align with your elected officials. And so to be in a place like Mendota Heights where uh, my values do align and that they are so supportive because as woe is me as we can all get about the decline of people coming into mm -hmm. law enforcement, it makes all of us infinitely more valuable. We have a lot of law enforcement experience. And so if where you're at right now, if you don't feel valued and if you don't feel that value alignment, we could go anywhere. Mm -hmm. You can go anywhere and probably make the same, if not more. Mm -hmm. And so that support is vital. And I've been lucky that they've put up with me because I am not easy. So, <laughs> um, I often, well, you did what now? Is a yeah. very common yeah. uh, a thing that starts off meetings, but yeah. they've been great. And, mm -hmm. you know, and we've cycled few uh, through a few, but I think Mendota Heights has been just wonderful in general. So to give, to give you another example, let's just think of uh, um, news releases or press releases or getting information out to the community. So that's been a big focus of mine. I, I want the citizens of Rosemont mm -hmm. to know what's going on in their police department and try to be transparent with that information and how many calls for service have we handled and and why were there lights in their, you know, on their street last week? Because uh, everybody wants to know. Uh, well, when you don't have a specific person that is uh, assigned to gather that data, analyze that data, put together a news release um, or a weekly update and get that out, it can fall on one person's shoulders or all of a sudden you get someone that's trying to be the expert of four or five different crafts, wear, wear many different hats when they'd be better if they just wore one or two. That to me is what I see as a, when I'm, gonna, I'm a smaller agency, but when I look at some of the larger agencies around me, they have, but that helps me think of where do I wanna go in the future, okay? So an analyst is probably in our future at some point, uh, some sort of a, a person to help with social media, you know, where it's not falling on a, an officer that's working a rotating <laughs> schedule. Right. I don't know, Chief, Chief, do you got anything to say? You've been, and, you've been in the big boy club for a long yeah. time. <laughs> and you are so generous with your resources too. Like yeah. the drone, I mean, he sent over his masseuse twice. Oh my. <laughs> um, the city barista has catered oh a few things. Oh, the barista at Egan is great. Oh, yeah. she is amazing. Have you, have you been in their hot tub? Oh, well, last time it was down, so I just had to use a steam oh, room, but. All not true, citizens of Egan, all not true. But, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate as a chief to have the, the a city council that I do. They're gonna challenge me, they're gonna ask questions. And uh, I think for all of us, we're expected to answer those questions for our council members. And they've been supportive with the resources that we need. Both the chiefs talked about the drone we have. I was at a meeting with my council a few weeks ago and you know they asked the question, are you gonna need more resources in the future to get a drone? I said, absolutely. Well, what I didn't share with people is the drone, it, it was done through, we've got the funds for the drone through a fundraiser, a golf tournament we did that was supported by our community members. And that's a big part of it too, where, you know, when I think when we, when we look at all of our agencies, the community support, and you hear Chief Dostrom talk about getting stats and information out there, it's really trying to paint that picture and tell the story of what we're actually doing in policing. You watch the news now, Unfortunately, what gets reported is so many of the stories where it has a tragic outcome or negativity or things that happen, negative in policing. Um, but there's a lot of great work that happens, you know, lives saved, uh, you know, the arrest of a violent offender. And there's great work that's being done in, in law enforcement, and those are some of the stories that aren't told. So it becomes important for us as chiefs to tell those stories so people are aware of the things that we are doing in policing. Let's take a brief moment now to acknowledge our sponsors. 
Discover Dakota County is brought to you by our session sponsor, Mid-Country Bank, and our episode sponsors, the Minnesota Vikings and the Egan Convention and Visitors Bureau. We thank you so much for your partnership. Telling stories today is so much different than it was oh. back 25, 50, 100 years ago, right? Um, and again, stories versus data. Correct. And when you're sitting in front of a, a city council meeting or city administrator and you're talking about data, mm-hmm. what does your data look like? What are, you, what are you reporting on and what do people care about? Not people, the folks you report to. Because I, th- I got to believe that's going to be a huge issue. This might be an opportunity to let Chief Dawson go first because he's got a lot of <laughs> analytics with it. But I'm going to I'm going to just simply jump in before he pulls out all of his documents and simply say, you know, it's interesting because you, you feel you, you reference a long time, you know, years ago in policing, yeah. you know, 50 years ago. Well, actually, you know, if you look at the last 10 years in policing and just the shifts and these things called cameras, cell phone cameras, it's mm-hmm. made more people reporters Every major incident that we have, one of the first things people want to see is the video from it. Sure. I was watching the news this morning, and they were talking about the siege on the Capitol from 2006. There was a spouse that talked about the husband that eventually, I believe, committed suicide. And after a traumatic brain injury that he sustained during that siege, and they were able to be successful because of the video from that incident. And video seems to tell the story and inherently you know when i started 28 years ago when you saw a police officer immediately you thought integrity the word trust the word honesty and now those words are also infused with video it needs to be backed up by the video so the data you can put to point to numbers and stuff but people want to actually see it too yeah and i think it's so think about change paradigm shifts we all we went through that as well where you've got people are so hold on we're comfortable and you know, it started with, this is private data. No one else should know what we're doing. You know, mm-hmm. neighbor right. steps out. Hey, what's going on here? Get back in your house. Okay. You know, don't take that approach. It's, you know, everything's okay. We're just you know, give them the information that they need to feel comfortable. And it's really hard to do when you're under um, a time constraint or maybe you're on a, a track or a search. And so that is challenging. It's not always easy. And, and it gets, you, you get better at it as you uh, gain more experience. But I think to, to Chief's point, I'll give you an example. We, we didn't have body cameras when we first uh when i first started but we had just gotten squad cameras and and microphones that we wore in our pockets and i had an experience where i came into work one day and there was a individual up front screaming and yelling and i thought oh boy what's that about you know what's what's going on you know and uh they're like that's about you i'm like oh no you know so (laughs) then i tucked my tail and, and and uh sat there and was sweating and was wondering what's what's happening well, it was a it was a traffic stop that I had made uh, where I had I had arrested or cited excuse me I didn't arrest anybody because it's technically an arrest but cited some uh, some juveniles for for drinking while driving and they went home and told their parents that I had sexually harassed them and had I not had that video rolling where mm-hmm. I could watch or they could watch the entire stop from beginning to the end until they were released to their parents. I mean, now it's a, it's a, it's who do you believe type of a situation. Right. So I think what police officers are, I, I, I recognized it back then. I want to show people that I'm not doing anything wrong. And I think that that has been, once you get into your program and not everybody's there yet, but everyone's getting there, your officers and your staff understand that it's there to protect them just as much as anything. So. Right. And I, and I would just point out, I was one of the people cut from the old cloth and uh, I, I really fought body worn cameras because I one of the things that we have also found is to you see that video and it may not capture that 
one specific item from an incident hmm. and then it didn't happen or it didn't occur. So, you know, and I, like I said before, I prescribe to integrity, honesty, and trust. I feel we need to force the community to think that way. But when the officers, you know, my officers in Egan came to me and said, Chief, it's time, we need them. Hmm. That meant I need to get out of the way and make sure we got them so that the staff members had them. But it is, it's a different time. Yeah. I think it's important too, though, to recognize mm-hmm. the difference between data and information. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are creating a lot of information mm-hmm. and we are very, very bad at synthesizing that information into data and learning from it. Mm-hmm. We do not share data very well. We do not put the investments in. So when you think about it, you can watch a hockey game last night. And by the end of that hockey game, you will have a box score of who scored what, how many or a football game, yards, mm-hmm. touchdowns, average run per mile an hour. How many thefts do you have this year? You don't know. Right. And you won't know until August of next year. Wow. And so we have so much information that if we could get over ourselves and break down some silos and fiefdoms, I think we could do some really amazing work, but that's easier said than done. Your information is stored in so many different locations and we're all on, some of us are on the same records management system, some of us are not. We've changed records management systems in uh, Rosemount three or four times just since I've been there. So now the accuracy to, to choose point of that information how accurate is it? Did everything transfer appropriately? Is it gonna? Is it gonna? Is all your information gonna print out on the report when you hit the button for the, the annual statistics? So there's a lot of verification. So that I think I agree. Like we're that's my one of my biggest headaches to get even just this data that I pulled today. I had to go to about ten different places and from different sources. But I think it's getting organized. It's the hockey game, the football players. They have statisticians. That's that's what, that's what they're paid mm-hmm. to do. They sit there and they take the statistics and they do quick reporting. That's why fantasy football is, is amazing. And I was in seven <laughs> leagues last year. Um, <laughs> and I don't have a gambling <laughs> Well, how many did you win? None. Yeah, none, none. It was a great investment. It was really fun. As long as you're enjoying yourself. But That's right. yeah, data is tough. And, and it's um, when you, when public data, when people come into uh, and, and thankfully, this hasn't happened as much, but there's some agencies that get hit up a lot more often for public data just because there's people that want to come in and make submissions for public data. Mm-hmm. Not for any specific reason. They just want to come in and make, and you have to give them that information mm-hmm. and that's time and that takes people away from their other jobs. And Yeah. It's fascinating. You talked about data versus information mm-hmm. because I mean, you know, what president doesn't have an app on their phone that talks about why their sirens are going off in a neighborhood down the street. Mm-hmm etc. And how do you combat that? Mm-hmm. And who's checking it? Is it factual? And so what? What do you do with that information? Absolutely. And so we have, and I think all of us in Dakota County have it, our squad cars have GPS locators on them. So I can go back and you could say, I can tell you how fast an officer was driving and where exactly they were in the city. And the research application of that in regards to where crime occurs in your city, that could be amazing. Hmm. You, we haven't done a valid patrol study, and I don't even know if we would say the Kansas City patrol study is a valid study since the 70s. But also we kind of don't want to because we like to keep doing the same old, same old. Give us more people, more money, and we don't have to. Where I feel in the private sector, if I needed something, I had to show it, I had to show results, I had to say why I need it. And law enforcement, sometimes it's easy just to say, well, we just more cops, just more cops. And I see we're starting to go away from it simply because we, you you can't have any more cops. So what else are we going to do differently? Mm-hmm. 
and I think like safe and sober is a great example of it. We're j- it's just, we just keep throwing cop. We don't do anything new. It's just more cops on the freeway, more cops on the freeway. And I would bet that rideshare apps have done a better job at reducing the number of DUIs than safe and sober, than the money we spend sending cops out for DUIs. So just trying to figure out how we innovate and move forward without having all those people resources, but in a way that we can quantify. Oh, did you, I'm sorry, did you have statistics on safe and sober? I have a good statistic for you. So <laughs> when the conversation comes up is why do you, why do officers do traffic enforcement? There's been decisions regionally where certain types of, of stops are not being enforced or are told that they, they should not be enforced. And in, 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 I can only speak to our community in Rosemount, but we, we do a lot of, uh, a lot of traffic enforcement. And I, I do find the value in that. Going back to the annual um, death statistics, last year I pulled that statistic. There was over 500 people that died on Minnesota roadways. In the state of Minnesota. In the state mm-hmm. of Minnesota, yep. And, you know, they, they, they account for, you know, speed as one of the top. Uh, drugs and alcohol is one of the others, but there's a lot of unknowns in those, in those categories. We haven't had that level of fatality on our roadways since 2005. But going back to when TZD or the Towards Zero Death Initiative started, it was it was funded on on three E's: education, enforcement, and engineering. So working with engineering to redesign roadways, um, educating residents about why you know why you shouldn't speed; it's a leading cause of fatalities on the roadway. This is why we're out there enforcing it. And so I do think it's a collective effort. I, it's not that I disagree. I do think we have to change our ways because it's really easy to get to get stuck in and we're going to be forced to. But traffic is huge. I mean, and we mm-hmm. so another data point that I'm be asked about is, well, who are you stopping? A gentleman came in recently and said that they believe that they were uh, profiled because they were a person of color and that they're. Um, so I started the, the conversation. OK, can you help me understand why? Um, were you pulled over? No, I wasn't pulled over. Okay. Well, how do you know? Uh, why do you feel that way? Well, I believe that your officer ran my license plate because I'm a person of color. I'm like, okay, well, let's dive into that. So then I took the next eight hours of part of that day and part of the next day prior to, prior to meeting again with that gentleman to find where he was on the roadway, time of day, who the officer was, looked at every single stop that that officer made, how many plates that officer ran. Uh, they ran 52 plates during their shift. God, which this is- kid loves data. <laughs> which is proactive police work. But you have to do this to defend people, right? Like, mm-hmm. if, or to, or shouldn't even say to defend, you have to do this to determine what the outcome of the complaint is. It could be, it, he, he could very well be right, you know, the guy complaining. So, but I found out 52 plates were ran, two vehicle stops were made. And I had to sit down and show him that data and show him the actual people that were pulled over and show him the cars around him that their license plates were also ran, explain why. And that is a very, if you had to do that with every mm-hmm. one of your residents, yeah, that is. Uh, so how do you to me? And I just talked to our record supervisor before I came over here. How do I get this where I don't have to, uh, you know, yesterday when we, when we talked, I'm not I'm not pulling statistics and trying to figure out because I need to be accurate. It can't just be information. It has to be, you know, uh, reliable data. But at the at the push of a finger. Well, I think that that's that's a driving license legislation that's out there that tracks people's race data on the driver's license. And that's a piece of legislation that's mm-hmm. down at the Capitol right now. I recommend it last year and uh, it's out there this year. And uh, essentially, when you look at your Minnesota driver's license, you don't have your race data on there. You know, I find it interesting that it's not on there, but if if we just put it on there, it's a database. And I know if that was on your driver's license, to Chief Dostrom's point, you could build in a search feature where you could track and see where your officer and who your officer has stopped to try to get a picture to determine if you have a problem. But for some reason or another, 
it's met with a little bit of contention or reservation by people to do it. I know I've been asked personally, Chief, why don't you ask people, or ask your officers to go up and ask people their race? And uh, I'm madly opposed against that because, you know, some people will take that, you know, mm -hmm. when, you're, when, you're, when someone's stopped on a traffic stop, it may be their first encounter with law enforcement. They are stressed. Um, there's all kinds of anxiety that's going on. If an officer went up and posed a question, can you tell me what race you are? So I can check a box or fill out a form in my squad car. It's going to create more contention between mm -hmm. that officer and that, that citizen. Whereas if it was on your driver's license and a person was just simply able, or law enforcement, the agency could push a button to track that data to see if, do we have a problem? Then it's there. Then it's at the tip of our fingers. And, you know, in contrast, and I think this is kind of interesting because we're, there's reluctancy to do that. However, in Egan, I have this beautiful facility that houses our Minnesota Vikings. And we have, you know, some of those players that live and work in our community, or I have obviously work in our community, but they live in our community. And if we run somebody's license plate, and it mm. comes back flagged. It comes back as a VIP, somebody that is very notable, whether it's a Minnesota Vikings, a, a Minnesota Wild player, a Minnesota official. Twin, an mm -hmm. elected official. Right. We as chiefs get an email from the state. Can you tell us why you ran that plate? Then we have to track down and do the same thing that yep. Chief Dostrom wow. talked about. But yet, when it comes to race, we're we're a little bit reluctant to to ask that or look at that. And it, it these are things and tools that would help us manage. So yeah. very interesting. We'd like to thank our session sponsor, Mid Country Bank, and our episode sponsors, the Minnesota Vikings and the Egan Convention and Visitors Bureau. Thank you for supporting Discover Dakota County. Thank you for the brevity. <coughs> thank you for the seriousness. Thank you for your time. I uh, appreciate what you all do for the community, and uh, thanks for joining the, the Discover Dakota County. Thank you so much for listening to Discover Dakota County. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. This podcast was produced by the Dakota County Regional Chamber of Commerce and Town Square Television.